Well, hello and welcome to Art House Rewind. My name's Brian, and this is a special bonus episode of Art House Rewind. Uh, for those of you that attended Man Bites Dog, you kind of know what you're getting into, but anyone else can listen to this as well. Just know that there might be some spoilers for the film coming up. Uh, I am joined again by our good friend Andy Sell, host of Ghoul School and... I ruined it again. Damn it. <laughs> it's fine. I wish I was wearing this shirt that had the name on it. I know. Uh, just, <laughs> I, I listen to ghoul school every time you drop one. The other one uh, I haven't gotten into as much. So. Thanks so much though. Uh, yeah. It's look, look good for the boys. Look good for the boys. We're going to leave yeah. this in. So that's fine. Everyone that's, knows. I love it. See how the sausage yeah. is made. Exactly. So we had a big group over for man bites dog the other night and uh we had a special intro with andy sell uh some of you might be wondering how the heck do you know andy sell um (laughs) so uh i for those of you that don't know i lived in la for about two years um back in 2012 2013 and uh the very first show i worked on was uh, logging for a Big Brother ripoff like show uh, called The Glass House, and yeah. alongside me logging was Mr. Andy Sell. And... <laughs> that was your first gig out there. I think I that was I my first that, gig. I, I knew that, but I had forgotten. Oh wow! Yeah, that would yeah. that'll that'll throw you. Yeah, that being your well, first job. I, I mean, I did get on because we went from that. Then we went to Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. And then after that, I actually got on to Arrested Development season four. That's right. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. I knew that. So so I kind of got my big break. But even when I got my big break, I'm like, I still don't know if this is for me. <laughs> so <sighs> It is. It's a rough town. And. I'd say that not in the way that most people say that. I think it's full of psychopaths. <laughs> it's a city and an industry full of psychopaths. And it's weird to say that and also be like, yeah, but I love movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And everyone says, oh, the traffic got you. And it's like, no, no, no traffic was fine. I, you, you get used to like, it's going to take an hour to get anywhere, but you know, I enjoyed my drives. I just did not love this idea of like, you work for like six weeks, three months, and then you're hitting the pavement again. And it was just like, yeah, this is draining. Yeah. It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And then when you are working, like you'll be working crazy hours Oh, yeah. And then you're unemployed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like you go from like 15 hour days for like months, possibly, and then nothing for a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't live there anymore either. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Where are you at now? I got out too. I'm in Minneapolis now. Okay. The city of lakes, the mill city, whatever they call it. I don't know. I'm still getting used to it. Prince. Twin city. Yeah. (laughs) To Twin cities. Prince and. Juicy Lucy's and cheese curds and gray duck and you betcha skull Vikings, yeah. etc. We played both purple rain and sign of the times earlier this year. So, oh, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I had never seen purple rain uh, until I moved here. And then my partner who is a huge Prince fan 
and a huge purple rain fan was like, well, you can't live here and not see purple rain. So I watched it and wow, it's great. So this is the 30th anniversary of man bites dog controversial film. Uh, I remember I first saw it in 2005 on a VHS that like had emblazoned across it, like banned in three countries or something like that. And it was just, you know, it was like, Ooh, I need to check this out. And I think it had also recently been acquired by Criterion. So I was like, well, I need to, I was on a Criterion binge of like, these are films I need to invest time into. And so I checked it out and it's, it's a nasty little movie, but it is, it definitely left an impact on me, especially at that time. Yeah. It's a, it's a very nineties film in a lot of ways, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's got that, that darkness to it, that mean streak in it. And it is a, it, 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 it leaves an impression on you. And I think if you see it at a certain age, it, you maybe can't, I mean, I was probably 16, maybe 15 the first time I saw it and it was a VHS. And I can't remember if I rented it first or if I just bought it because of the, you know, the cover looked great. And I was like, you know, mm-hmm. one of those angsty teenagers who is like, oh, I love Richard Linklater and <laughs> Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino. And, you know, the very like that, like just on the heels of like the Gen X slacker kind of film movement yeah. and Man Bites Dog kind of bears a lot of that, the hallmarks of that. And so I think I just, yeah, I think I just bought the VHS at like Media Play or something and watched it and was like, then proceeded to watch it like, I don't know every day for the next couple weeks <laughs> like Yeesh. you do at that age yeah uh, well probably probably not every day i think even at that yeah. age i was maybe a little bit like uh this is kind of rough um because yeah. it, it even at that age it was very dark but i think it it doesn't necessarily i remember it being funnier you know i remember yeah. laughing at it a lot more back then and now i'm like uh Wow, I don't even think I would have. And even when you do laugh, it's pretty uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was it was, you know, some of the violent scenarios of just like, well, that's wild, you know. And then every time Ben opens his mouth, it's like, ooh, stop, stop this man from talking right now. Yeah, the thing that stuck strongest with me was the again, very film schooly sort of movie, but uh, the gag of the sound guy being on the other side of the warehouse. And so he's being shot in a close-up, but his sound is way out there because the sound guy isn't next to him. Again, it's it's a very fun visual gag. Even the very beginning when he drops the body and it lands in the river and doesn't sink, like... Right after he did that It has some really great gags in it, but... uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The further along you get, the more you're like, I can't believe I was laughing at this earlier. <laughs> yeah. And it's because I, I, I definitely remember even then knowing like, OK, you're not supposed to think this guy is great. Like the kind of yeah. the point of this guy is that he's an asshole. But, you know, it was also at a time I don't think we had a lot of context for that, like media wise. Like, yeah, we had antiheroes. We hadn't exa- we didn't have Walter White yet. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have yeah. a character that allowed us to have a conversation about this stuff like collectively. So yeah. it was just sort of like, yeah, he's he's a doofus and an asshole. And that's part of what makes it funny. And then, you know, cut to 30 years later. And it's like, 
there's more going on than just this guy's kind of a doofus and a prick that he's, he's also, you know, we're having a whole conversations about privilege and entitlement and representation and, you know, Mm -hmm. men taking up space and men, you know, I mean, this guy is like peak mansplaining the, the entire film kind of stuff. Again, this, this movie's ahead of its time in a lot of ways. It, yeah, you know, mockumentaries and pseudo docs had existed before. And some of them, I think even, you know, this film, I mean, the, the sound guy stuff, the yeah. sound guys, that's the drummers in Spinal Tap. Yeah. Like it's 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 the same joke. It's the <laughs> exactly. same joke. And <laughs> uh, and then Ben kind of is also very similar to I don't know if you've seen David Holtzman in in uh, David Holtzman's diary, which is an early, oh. I think, 71 uh, pioneer of the mockumentary style. And we still, you know, in 79, we had Albert Brooks's real life and Spinal Tap is before this. And there had been a yeah. lot of like the idea of, of a dark comedy or a, a satire. Bob Roberts, uh, mm-hmm. I believe, was the same year, actually, as uh, Man Bites Dog. So it, there was already a tradition set in place, but I do think this film kind of took that and, you know, the 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 just about to be big again, American film uh, uh, fascination with crime and organized crime mm-hmm. movies, uh, the slacker movement with, you know, the Gen X link later, yeah. uh, Smith, Tarantino, Smith. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rodriguez, like the, what they call slackers, but also just that indie film moment. Yeah. And, and it takes all of these things and then kind of gives it this weird, like poking fun at French new wave a little bit too. And you yeah. get this, this film that kind of is ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, and absolutely. it predicted a lot of trends to come, I think, including found footage. I mean, that, that joke with the sound guy walking towards him, they do that in Blair Witch Project. Yeah. You know, the, the film, the film running into the leader and just having the film run out at the camera lands on its side. Blair Witch Project like it has a there's a it's because it's this like flashpoint of so many different things it it has the the benefit of being ahead of a lot of things I think and that's part of why I reached out to you in the first place about this film in particular was you just did a semester on ghoul school on found footage horror and this one kind of fits in there. Like it's not exactly found footage, but it's yeah. it kind of touches in those same areas. And uh, again, anyone listening to this, do check out Ghoul School, uh, Andy. So uh, it's it's a great deep dive into some great films that you may have heard of, and several you have not heard of as well. So um, it's it's a lot of fun, but. Yeah, that's what made me think of this was I wanted to hear your take on uh, this uh, this strange, dark little film. But, you know, people that come to our late nights probably are wondering why I chose this film, because it is a little bit. It's got some rich themes to it that it's going for um, more so than other films that I've shown, like more so than Toxic Avenger, more so than. Uh, we just did Pink Flamingos. and <laughs> I, I do think this movie is, you know, again, it sort of 
it doesn't entirely break from like midnight movie tradition. It no. is, it is, it is a cult film with a cult following and it is a black comedy. So it does have a space in that conversation, but yeah, it isn't your usual like midnight movie uh, yeah. material. Like it's not, it's hard to have fun with this movie. It's hard to, enjoy, it's hard to say, yeah, that movie was entertaining or I liked that movie. It's a difficult one to say those things about. And it's yeah. a difficult one to have a good time with, but I think it does bring just enough of this. Like we know what we're saying and we know what we're making fun of that. Yeah. You can, it makes up for a lot. Cause there's some imagery in this film and some, some subject matter in it that you're, yeah, yeah. it's very heady. It's very, and it's very heavy and it's very yeah. upsetting some of it. And there's images yeah. in there. Like, you know, there's, there's one shot in this film that is like I, I, Hannibal it's Holocaust probably the same level. one I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like, it's, it's like Gordon Lewis without the like kind of vibrant, colorful, low budget charm. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's an image that burns itself into your mind. Cause I'm assuming you are show you, you did show the, the NC 17 rated version, the, yes. not the, yeah. not the cut version. Yeah. 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 We're yeah. definitely thinking of the same shot, but it's like yep. it's Henry portrait <laughs> of a serial killer level, you know, but yeah. somehow more upsetting. And, yeah. and the scene that precedes that shot too is, is like last house on the left. I spit on your grave level. Um, yeah. But it is also doing that thing where it is very much letting you know that the filmmakers know that this isn't good and that what we're showing you right. is something, right. to, you know, it, that's always the, the debate when you talk about transgressive cinema and you talk about films that have graphic upsetting images or themes or subjects, you know, the things that you have to provide trigger warnings or content warnings for, like, like that's the debate is like does the film know what's the intent here and given the intent wh what is this doing to address our social anxieties or what is this mm -hmm. is this exploiting that is it you know and th there's always the conversations about responsibility but this film is saying we know and we're having that conversation with you the viewer as we're doing this you know yeah the shot there's a sh holy sh there's a shot in this movie where a sound guy gives a look to the camera like Jim in the office after <laughs> Michael Scott says something like it's straight yeah. up that after Benoit gives a particularly disgusting uh, gender based uh, rant. This guy looks at the camera and it's the filmmaker saying, yeah, you're you don't like this guy. He sucks. We know he sucks. The things that we're showing you are abhorrent and we know they're yeah. abhorrent. So just try to, yeah. to get the joke with us. And yeah. because of that, I do think it, it goes down a little easier for a midnight crowd than, you know, than some things you could show. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I, my motto with late night programming is that it's things that are scary, strange, or shocking. And, and, and the idea with the late night was that when you're, when you hit a late night, your brain chemistry kind of changes a little bit and you're yeah. open to different sorts of experiences. And this almost is pulling the rug out from under you of like, yeah, we're going to have fun with this kooky guy that's killing people. And then it gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, again, that first shot, that first shot lets you know, like, we're having fun, but it's not really fun. Like, yeah. and it, it, and it holds that. And yeah, it, it get like you said, it gets worse. It just escalates from yeah. there. Yeah. And there's a child murder and it's not the worst part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the child murder is actually one of the easiest to take moments. I yeah. think as far as if we're talking about the more transgressive moments that are on display here. I mean, there are these like, you know, montages of quick cut, like just debt, 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 debt executions. And those are fun. <laughs> yeah. They're grim, but they're like fun. And, yeah. then, you know, that's about as fun as it gets, I think. Uh, and then there's the child murder, which is not as rough as some of the other things in this movie. Um, but again, there's some jokes in it that are like, that I still will laugh at despite knowing like, that's fucked up. Uh, obviously not, you know, Benoit's racist and uh, misogynist and homophobic things. Right. But with the broom, when he's outside after his mother's been murdered with the broom and, and he says, well, she wasn't a flautist. Uh, and yeah. it's 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 that like, you know, the movie does a lot of, you know, asking you why you're laughing at something and saying like, hey, this thing that you thought was funny. Do you still think it's funny? Probably not. Right. But then just as often it will show you something horrible and be like, that's awful, but it's kind of funny, right? Like not the thing that happened, yeah. but you know, the situation. And there are moments yeah. of that, that I think still, still work in this film, even 30 years yeah. later. I mean, just the premise in itself, the idea of this is a documentary on a serial killer. is just a funny premise in itself of like, you know, I mean, this was kind of in the heyday of things like uh, Roger and me and Tanner 88. Tanner 88, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, things like that where we were following a lot of um, Thin Blue Line. Like, yeah. you know, we've, we kind of went through this renaissance of the documentary form and then to be able to subvert that and be like, all right, well, you know, they've covered all these other sort of people you know, this was well before um, uh, The Art of Killing. And, you know, they were kind of interviewing a real life monster yeah. there where, yeah. you know, this was, you know, kind of predicting that, though, in a sense of like, you know, documentaries having full access to all walks of life, including the most reprehensible people. <laughs> yeah. And, and treating it like normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's the joke, right? It's like. It's almost the kind of thing that, you know, what we do in the shadows did in 2014 yeah. and now is doing with the television show where it's like we're we're taking like these are monsters, like literal monsters. And we're making it mundane and we're showing the like eh, it's they're just like us kind of a thing. You know, hey, serial killers, they're just like yeah. us. Like, you know, this this idea that this guy is this it's being presented as if it's like, well, this isn't a big deal, you know, and it, it the film itself for a lot of the runtime seems to live in a world where there are no consequences, you know, where there isn't yeah. really like a uh, law enforcement presence. And then when the law enforcement presence does enter into it, it is a factor, but it's also not like he yeah. just, you know, they, they, he they just find casually it. breaks out yeah. of jail. <laughs> he just escapes. They don't say how he's, he's able to call for a pickup, you know, like, yeah. 
it's it's like that's not the point you know the point is that like now this guy he's he, it's also kind of the you know the the patrick bateman quality of just like well he's beyond that like he's beyond really yeah. caring about that type of a consequence uh and when yeah. you when a person is beyond that maybe that's the world they live in like yeah um it's also a world where there's a dueling camera crew <laughs> following another assassin <laughs> yeah yeah and here's the thing that i find interesting about that is that it's almost like that's the sin like that's the crime he commits that causes problems for him because that's the one he kills that that ends up getting him retribution so it's mm-hmm. almost like the tragic sin of this character like his his leer moment his oedipus moment his you know cursing the gods moment is is destroying the media is destroying the like yeah. the arbiter of another media presence you know um and I, there's a lot you can read into that probably <laughs> Yeah. But but I just think it's kind of like it's an interesting note that like that's the murder that gets him in trouble. And that's why they start coming for his loved ones. And again, you know, it's he doesn't even get to be like John Wick or somebody. It's not like we root once they start killing the people close to him. We're not rooting for him. We're not like then seeing this as like, well, go get him, Benoit. Like they're it's it's we're not seeing that and how it affects him we're seeing oh shit like this guy is a this guy is a danger to anyone around him uh Mm -hmm. and that's just hammering at home like whether they're in danger because he's a psychopath that might snap and kill them and everyone's afraid to call his behavior into into question because of that but like the events that he sets into motion are a danger to them and Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it I feel like I'm I'm getting a little too deep if I'm being like, well, what you got to you got to look at man bites dog through the uh, <laughs> angle of Greek tragedy. Yeah, but like the um, filmmakers who at first are, you feel like they're supposed to serve as like a conscience for him. Uh, yeah. End up just becoming more tools that he uses. Yeah, this time. This is the second time I've seen it, honestly. And um, the watching how, because first time I noticed how like deep into it they start getting where it starts with, you know, hey, move this guy for me. And then it Mm -hmm. becomes more and more involved until the point that they're, you know, participating in crimes with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it really, the it starts so early on sometimes when, you know, he's talking about the lights and he's talking about, you know, everything that it's like it, I mean, it's a whole conversation about, obviously they're getting at the object objectivity of documentary filmmaking, but also just the, you know, we're really shedding the light on how people react when they're on camera to the point that like, the camera itself is becoming an adherence to him. Although they, he also used the cameraman to find the guy that he was looking yeah, for in he, the warehouse. So. He uses the zoom lens. He has him use yeah. the zoom lens to track the, to find out where the guy is hiding. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, he, 
he's this character who's he's not really particularly likable or charismatic, but he has this intimidation factor to him. And so he's able to, you know, piece by piece sort of draw out more complicity from our filmmakers. And yeah, yeah. The, the topics of uh, the topic, the subject of, of media ethics, journalistic ethics, documentary yeah. ethics is all over this film. You know, when he's offering to pay for to fund the film, it's that's a conflict of interest. Yeah. But, you know, you can't have your subject paying for your, it's basically like it's a commercial at this point, at that point. Yeah. And he, you know, th- there's that moment. It's almost like the Faustian bargain, right? There's that moment yeah. where, after that he's killed the old woman in a scene that is probably i think the per uh, next to the opening shot maybe the best example in this film of a moment that's like ha 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 what the fuck wait a second this is not yeah okay yeah. uh when he kills the old woman by giving her a heart attack he then offers to take them out for muscles and yeah and they they have that moment where they're like, "Wow, we're not going to do it." And it's it's you know nobody's saying that it's wrong, but you know that's what they're thinking. And then the next yeah. shot is them; they've given in and they've gone to muscles yeah. with them. And at that point, they've sold their soul, and anything yeah. that happens to them is fair game. But they get more and more involved. You know, it goes from like him trying to get them to agree with some of the awful reactionary conservative things he's saying. Uh, especially when he's talking about, oh, there's, there's more homosexuals in the show business, right? You can, he literally says, you can say what you want as like doing that, like, Hey, we're all, we're all cis white straight men here, right? Like you can, yeah, you can make awful jokes with me. I'm asking for your permission to say something terrible. Now, granted, this is after he said a number of terrible racist, awful things, but he moves from that to then, you know, get getting them drunk and having them participate in like gang sexual assault. And then, you know, it comes to the neck brace moment where one mm-hmm. of his victims gets away and he says, literally says, uh, teamwork means being able to count on your colleagues. So he very much sees them as, well, they're part of the team. Yeah. You know, th- th- this guy shot another one of their one of their uh, crew, the rival crew. Yeah, no, I, I I get what you mean of just, you know, he's he's starting to see them as equals with him. Yeah. Oh, and that scene where he leaves the bar and he's hammered and he's just singing yeah. cinema. Yeah. Then and he's addressing the the audience, like he's hamming it up and he's he's calling the audience film lovers, which yeah. is co- not just making the media complicit, not just making these filmmakers complicit making the viewer complicit. Like we are indicted for watching him yeah. uh, by him, yeah. which is, you know. But the, the film really gets at the point, you know, in its documentary style, as I mentioned earlier, you and I both worked on reality TV. So <laughs> we, we see a little bit behind the curtain of, you know, what is presented versus what is um, actually cut together and shown and how real reality can be sort of thing. And we know, we know who doesn't wash their hands. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And yet this goes back further to uh, like the Maisel brothers and that, and like how much did they not show and how much did they manipulate their 
uh, subjects in order to get what they wanted, whether it's gray gardens or salesmen or uh, any of those, like yeah. it really makes you question documentary in a whole, which again, yeah. like as film people, we kind of understand that, but I'll admit I get wrapped up in it too. Sometimes when I'm watching something that's presented to me and I just accept it as fact. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's, and it's, you know, you can have these conversations right down the line, right? Like it's even, you know, you could talk about Frederick Wiseman and like, well, he's, you know, the fly on the wall guy, but the very fact that he's there, you know, there's always going to be some kind of change in the subject. They're simply, if they're being observed and yeah, there's i get i mean it's it's degrees like it's it's rough because i watch i don't watch much reality tv because it's i didn't really like it before i worked in it but working in it definitely was like "Eh, this is gross i can't you know uh especially It, it wasn't even that like for me there were things that i witnessed that i was surprised got left on the cutting room floor and but also it was a weird i had a weird moment particularly with the glass house in the sense that you're watching live footage of these people 24 hours a day yeah and yeah like like towards the end of it like i was calling like gene's gonna go to the fridge and he's going to pour himself a glass of milk and then he's (laughs) gonna drink half of it and then pour he's gonna fill that half again before taking it to his bedroom and it's like what I should not know this person that has no idea that I exist that well. <laughs> I I don't know if you knew, if you remember this or if you know this, but I actually knew someone. Uh, in, uh, one of the contestants on that show was the person yeah. I had previous uh, knowledge of. Uh, I think and I, I remember you seeing it, and I saw him on another show like <laughs> after that. <laughs> and now you know what he's doing now, right? No. He is he is a he is a multiply gone viral like a gone viral multiple times conservative like conspiracy theorist. How did I know it was going to go that way? He's yeah, he is like he's he keeps getting has these videos of him that go viral of him like doing crazy stuff at like city council meetings in Texas and he God, he shut down a drag brunch somewhere. And I mean, and it's almost one of those things where it's like, he doesn't even, I don't even think he believes the things he's saying. It's just like, he's found an audience, but he like, you know, remember on the, when we, we worked on the glass house, his whole thing was, I'm going to be the villain yeah. because, because people that watch these shows want a villain. And what happened was, he pissed off everybody involved to the point where they just threw him off the show and they brought him back once. And it was like, no, we don't want him here. Get rid of him again. Yeah. But now it's like, he's doing that with his life. And he's, he's like, what he, it's almost like he thinks he's, he's doing satire, but the audience he's garnered are people that like actually believe what he's saying. And like, you know, like I think I said it in the intro, I think if Benoit were not a contra, not a not a killer slash professional thief yeah. murderer guy, he would be a, a Joe Rogan type podcast host. He would be one of those like 
Because he has an opinion on everything. That's the thing that yeah. about Benoit, where it's like he thinks he's an expert on art. He thinks he's an expert on cinema. He's constantly making references to things that he yeah. he thinks he's an expert on. And he's he's talking over Valerie, like all of these women he's surrounded himself yeah. with. He's just like manipulating or being awful to. And yeah, uh, I think even early on, he mentions the whole like dichotomy of like, you know, you go for old people because they have money. Young people don't have any money. And yeah. You know, yeah. Just... One well, his, his architecture thing too. It's like the film is yeah. saying things about economic crisis and economic inequality and economic um, uh, instability and gentrification and public housing and segregation. And it's saying various moral panics it's like discussing these things through his wrong-headed opinion most of the time like or through his cynical exploitation of that fact like with the young people saying like ah they don't have money old people have money uh it's it's almost like it's pointing something out through that and his whole thing about the public housing and red is the color of violence and (laughs) he taught he goes on like a violence in the media rant at one point kind of and it's I don't know. He, yeah, he's, he just talks and talks and talks. And yeah. it's one of those things where like, I watch him and I'm like, oh shit, am I like that? I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a white guy with a bad sense of humor that, that uh, talks and talks and talks. I hope I'm not like him. I do think it's interesting at one point that he references uh, Philip, Philippe uh, Noiré, the, uh, the actor when he smashes the in when the he sur- smashes the guy's head and it does the splatter on the yeah. mirror, which that scene also is a very Henry portrait of a serial killer style scene, yeah, uh, because it kind of mirrors the the found footage component scene in that movie where they attack the suburbs and it's almost like don't go to don't kill people in the suburbs and you'll be fine. Like you kill people in the city, you kill people with you know uh, blue collar lives and not a lot of you know clout you'll be fine. But the minute you go to the suburbs and kill like some family, that's when, uh, you know, it's it, that in itself is, it seems like a, you know, a comment on, on the economic uh, uh, inequality, but sorry, he brings up Philippe Moiret, who is an actor and, and he's doing that. Like, you know, it's just like in the movies thing that, that killers, mm-hmm often do is, is like romanticizing what they do but the movie he references is interesting because it's this movie called uh the old gun and it's philippe noire murdering nazis like he's it's like a revenge movie where he's killing nazis in world war ii and he's a dentist and it's it's this i don't know i don't I, tr- I want to read a lot more about some of the things yeah. that that Benoit references in this film, particular, it seemed during the the art scene where he was talking about Bernard Buffet and, and Robert Hossein yeah. that like there was a joke in there that I wasn't getting, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and I was like, so then every reference he made, I was like, I'm going to read up on this a little bit. And yeah it made me really want to, I really want to see the old gun now. I've never seen it, yeah. but you know, looking up Philippe Noiré, like he, he's one of those actors I've seen in a lot of things and just never really, you know, kept track of him. But the old mm-hmm. gun, I was like, that sounds interesting. 
and it it just sounds like an interesting choice for a reference there um and like i feel like it has to mean something even if it's just like oh remy uh belvo or andre bonsell like really liked that movie or something i don't know but i another thing sorry yeah no <laughs> the year that this movie came out interestingly philippe noiret who was referenced in that scene yeah, yeah. was in a movie called Max and Jeremy about a hitman who is a, a, another hitman comes after Christopher Lambert actually I think plays the other hitman <laughs> and and Philippe uh, Lambert plays a socially awkward TV addicted small time thug who is hired to take out uh, a profession, a retiring professional hitman. And I just think that's funny because it's, it's kind of yeah. like Benoit. Benoit is a small time thug who's definitely like socially awkward and has his, you know, obsession with media. Uh, and I just thought that that was interesting that, that that's what this, that's the movie that Philippe Noiret made at the same time as man bites dog. So of, of film, psychopaths that we've seen there's benoit there's patrick bateman there's maniac oh (laughs) yeah that's a rough one and yet i would still say that like i would much rather rewatch maniac over henry portrait of a serial killer or man bites dog (laughs) yeah it's interesting because maniac is clearly the more graphic of the films but it's also there's like um and it's I'm not going to say Maniac's not disturbing because it definitely is, but it's it's got more of the like Herschel Gordon Lewis quality to it. Uh, it's got more of the like. It's splatter. There's splatter yeah. in that film and it's gritty, grimy, yeah. sleazy, you know, late 70s, early 80s, yeah. New York splatter. It's 42nd Street splatter, but it's still splatter and it's still kind of like, you know, it's oily, but it glistens, you know, it's kind of vibrant. Yeah. And the effects of it are almost so cartoonish that it's Mm -hmm. there's there's a release in it. You know what I mean? There's a release in, you know, the Tom Savini's head getting blown apart (laughs) with a shotgun at close range. And you see shrimp cocktail flying everywhere. Like there's a release in that. And it's a release that you do not find in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, especially with, you know, those those haunting shots of the of the women's bodies with the audio played over them. You know, it's Mm -hmm. there's there's no release there. That is just loss. It's just mourning. And in man bites dog you know the the really haunting shot in that film but even the less haunting shots it's like there's no release in them there's no payoff there's no setup punchline it's just ick you know well some of them there's a punchline (laughs) and a few of them there's a punchline and in the there is a release in those like sporadic montage uh, violent moment yeah. bursts of violence, but even yeah. those are they They lack context, so there's yeah. the releases. Is, is, yeah, you're, you're you're able to just kind of let them flow over you because you have no context. Whereas the old woman, you you got to see yeah. her being so nice and so innocent for a while, and then he just 
not only does he does he kill her but he kind of does it in this way of like she's not worth the bullet (laughs) yeah 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 it's (laughs) and he gets her with that whole thing of like i'm gonna talk to you about loneliness too like that's the bait on the hook that he lures her in with and and then he just you know it's he kills her and then disrespects her after he's killed her like that's Wow. Yeah. Just disrespects ugh. her and like she like kind of reaches out to him and he slaps her hand yeah. away. And it's just yeah. Oh, um, in researching the film, I heard someone compare him to Jake Gyllenhaal's character in Nightcrawler. Oh. Which was an interesting, interesting take because they're very, you know, yeah. one's obviously much more, you know, murderous, but uh, but definitely just the idea of the narcissism and the mm-hmm. having this itch that they need to scratch sort of mentality. Yeah. yeah, there there definitely is something to be said, I think, for our cultural fascination with these, you know, narcissistic, uh, mm-hmm. lacking in empathy young men that commit yeah. whatever crimes or whatever, you know, in, in Nightcrawler, yeah. it's interesting because, yeah, we see less overtly sinister less overtly harmful less overtly criminal uh version of that it's did you ever see mindhunter the tv show uh i've it's been a long time yeah the the character that anna torv from fringe okay the character she plays she has this whole thing when she's getting into this this program of profiling serial killers she works with psychopaths but they're they're like the psychopaths you don't hear about because they're like ceos and fortune 500 company founders they're like it's the psychopaths that didn't you know torture animals and kill people but just their empathy their lack of empathy helps them make money their their lack of regard for rules and structures and and other people's well-being just gets them to that point where they make money and it's like you know maybe i mean there's wolf of wall street obviously but you know, Nightcrawler is the kind of, yeah, the smaller stakes version of that. That's interesting. That's interesting yeah. that you don't really think to put a character like that in the same park as, you know, Benoit or uh, Mark from Peeping Tom or you know, Joe Spinell's yeah. character from Maniac. The other thing about Maniac, sorry. I, can't. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> you bring up Maniac and it's just like, oh man, nobody ever wants to talk about Maniac. Let's talk about Maniac. <laughs> There's that great ending, you know, there's that great like denouement uh, of the the revenge of the the mm-hmm. the mannequins coming to life and punishing yeah. him. And it's yeah. so eerie and it's almost like folk horror in a way. It's really yeah. spooky and creepy and poetic. It feels like, I don't know, like Czech or, or Hungarian or something. It's mm-hmm. not it's not what you would expect from a movie like that. So, and the comeuppance and say man bites dog doesn't really feel like comeuppance so much as it feels no. like an inevitability. It's a very abrupt inevitability. Yeah, it was, it's almost too abrupt in the sense yeah. that it almost felt like, all right, we've got 90 minutes. Let's wrap this up sort of thing. And yeah, because I mean, yeah. obviously we, we had the idea that, you know, someone went after his family. So we knew someone was after him, but again, I mean, him getting arrested, him getting breaking out of jail, his family uh, being tortured, and then him getting assassinated. Like, that's like a 
seven minute stretch maybe like it's really <laughs> quick <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a lot more attention and time paid to like him getting drunk at a bar than yeah. you know this this the actual narrative beats the of whole what thing you would with the with the um dead dead babies what do they call the oh the, the yeah drink? well so they're called in the movie the sub the subtitle he calls them dead baby boys but yeah they're actually the words he's saying are petite Gregory's. And if I understand correctly, and this goes to maybe some of the darkness in this film's sense of humor, but yeah. I think that was a real case. I think that, yeah. that they, he named the drinks after a real case of a murdered boy or a, yeah. a boy who was found drowned or it would something be like calling something a Jean Benet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It would be like if we called the, the, the drink a Jean Benet or something, but yeah, it's that like, Whoa, that's dark. And I mean, I could be wrong. It might not be a real case. I, I it's one of those things that I wrote down to research, but yeah. then didn't. Um, but I do that. Yeah. that that so much time is spent on those, but here's the thing. It's kind of great. Like, yeah, the just the 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 close-ups of the glass with the sugar dissolving and the thing mm-hmm. the olive rising um it is it is one of those little i don't want to it's not like a sublime moment but it's a more no. quiet moment where you get to see the cinematic sensibilities yeah. of this director i should i should mention um you know benoit has gone on to do several things since then like i mean it, even this year i'm pretty sure he's released <laughs> new things he's got something like 80 credits right like 80 acting credits i think yeah yeah he's he's definitely been pretty active still uh and i think andre has done quite a bit too but remy basically this was his only film and then he committed suicide in 2006 Is yeah that right? yeah yeah which uh even at the time of his death like people said that he left us with one masterpiece and a million questions or something like that. And yeah. Just tragic end to that guy. But, you know, for sure, based on this film, if nothing else, you can see that he probably had some inner demon. Yeah, this is I mean, I don't want to, you know, I mean, I, I'm saying this as someone with uh, deep depression and anxiety and, and has been uh, on a assortment of different prescriptions and internet and therapy, et cetera. But uh, yeah, this isn't necessarily the kind of movie you make if you're doing just fine, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Um, not to, you know, not to be, you know, reductionist or dismissive or anything about, about whatever he was battling, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's interesting too, that uh, the film that uh, Andre Boncel did do a documentary i think about that it's really? it was tw- i was looking at imdb and in 2021 he made a movie where he plays himself and uh benoit is in it as well playing himself and mm-hmm. i guess there's archive footage of remy and it seems like it's maybe has something to do with loss and grief i it's called the flickering ghosts of cinema or something it's something okay. like that flickering go- the words flickering and the word ghosts are in there somewhere but it looked interesting and it makes me really curious uh, but yeah it is it is a 
it's always a it's always a shame when someone you know delivers something like this that's like super meaningful and clearly yeah. uh ambitious and yeah. and profound and clearly like personal to the filmmaker uh and then and then that's it so i would have loved to have seen what he could have done with you know a non pseudo doc format non found footage format narrative yeah. film um mm -hmm. or even just a straight doc you know because yeah. he has a visual sensibility and he has a sense of pace and you know he he there's some great editing and some great proxemics in this film where you see like oh this is a filmmaker this isn't just yeah. point shoot like there's there's an art to this there's a craft at work and it's it's something that you don't I don't think see maybe as often as you would like at this level, you know, of, yeah. of book budget and um, or I mean, I, I don't want to say that because sometimes, you know, this is where you see it in spades is is at mm -hmm. this level of filmmaking of like regional amateurish amateur, I want to say, which is not a dirty word. Amateur means you do it for no. the love of doing it. Exactly. And that is a high compliment. So, but yeah, yeah. maybe it's I, so abrupt because they just ran out of 16 millimeter film and couldn't afford yeah, it anymore. For sure. I mean, they might have actually been having budget problems. Yeah. <laughs> that. Um, I love that the score, like there's like no score through this whole film. The only score you get is the flautist and his piano playing like they reuse it in certain yeah. parts but it's like that's the only soundtrack and it's yeah. kind of great <laughs> it's great oh i love it i love it and even in that scene he's being like and know, the tone shift of like yeah you know knowing what he's capable of but knowing that this is the music that this film is soundtracked by <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, it's constantly that reminder of like, even in that, even in that music that they're using, there's a context of like, this guy is a problem. This guy's yeah unstable and he's controlling and manipulative uh, and very self-interested without much self-awareness. It's a great film. It's, it is. It's yeah. not something you want to rewatch over no. and over. Yeah. Although 16 year old Andy did, but yeah, I, <laughs> I, there was like, I probably wasn't doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was weird. Cause it was, I feel like that year it was just like, it was this, it was uh, dead alive. I watched dead alive a lot. Yeah. And um, I think evil dead two. I watched a lot that year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is probably the most film school movie I watched at that yeah. time. I, I was really into John yeah. Woo as well, though. I had a lot of John Woo films. And yeah, this does lead me to ask maybe a larger question than we probably should. But, um, you know, there's such a strange relationship with horror films in the sense that I came to it pretty late in the game. I was probably I mean, it was past college that I really you know other than something artsy like this like I really got into horror films and it was probably the original um, Nightmare on Elm Street that really got to me in the sense of like 
such an imaginative story that uh you know was done so well with such a visually striking film but also the idea of like this is a story about your dreams can kill you and it was <laughs> this interesting take on it when you kind of look at it outside of freddy who was you know i mean yeah. my whole childhood was freddy krueger so yeah it was like i didn't i never saw the films but i knew who freddy krueger was yeah he was um, like joe camel it, or mickey mouse like exactly yeah. yeah but i run into so many people that do not understand the horror genre at all like why <laughs> does anyone get enjoyment out of this what like why do people why are people gravitated to this is there something wrong with someone that finds joy in watching these and it's something i've never really been able to answer definitively i feel like i just know that you know i mean other than the idea of like subs subversive cinema and that like you can do a lot with the allegory of horror films yeah <laughs> but yeah, I feel like a lot of times when you get when you start getting into the like, you know, why horror? Why? Why this thing? Like, why is this the thing that somebody is really into? You know, the answers you're going to get a lot of times are going to be cognitive answers. Uh, they're going to be like answers with a lot of thought behind them. A lot of like, you know, deconstruction, examination, a lot of semantics, a lot of well, when you talk about horror you're really talking about anxieties and when you talk about and it's like i i agree with all of them most of them actually uh and i do think that like i'm it's funny because i'm i was just writing a thing today that i i might i don't know if it's going to be an essay or if i'm just going to record it and release <laughs> it as a podcast yeah. but but sort of a thing that's kind of tackles this a little bit this idea of like what what horror fans look like to people that are not in the fandom, you know, what mm -hmm. the casual horror fans or even the people that don't consider themselves fans of horror, but like, like one or two horror movies, um, what we, what we look like to them and, and why, you know, what, <laughs> where, where the disconnect <laughs> might be. But I think that a lot of times that gets away from what it really is, which is a feeling that you get, watching something that if you think about mm -hmm. it for a while and you put it down on paper and you you look at a greater context you can yeah you get into these like you know essay type answers of with a you know a thesis and an assertion and key terms and and all that and and i definitely have that but i do think that it what it starts with is a feeling it yeah. starts with watching something at any age i mean for me it started very young because I don't know, my mom was irresponsible. And, <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, I was fascinated with Jaws, which is definitely a horror film, but oh, absolutely, it's also like this weird adventure film that it feels very accessible. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as a kid, one through four, they were all equally good to Brian. <laughs> yeah, I look, I still. Obviously, the first Jaws is in a category all its own. It's like Psycho. It's like Halloween. It's like it's separate. Yeah. You can't compare it to anything else. But I really love the Jaws sequels. Yeah. I, I love all of them. And I think they're all great. And I will not. You should listen. There's an episode of Look Good for the Boys from this most recent season 
okay. called Shark Week, where we we look at all the Jaws sequels, uh, and I get to defend them. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, Jaws is another big one for me. At you know, you as a young age, there's this again, it's this feeling of like it's scary. And it's yeah. like, I see it when I close my eyes at night and it keeps me awake, yeah. but I, I can't stop thinking about it. And I think I love it. I was afraid to take a shower for like a year, like where it just was like, <laughs> I know that it doesn't make sense, but it still was like being in the water would scare me. <laughs> well, I, I loved swimming and I loved the water. Uh, but I always also was terrified of sharks and of jaws. We, we had a, when I was a kid, when I was little, went to YC, YMCA. And the YMCA near us had a stuffed shark on the wall. And my mm-hmm. mom, knowing what it would do to me, said, they caught that in this pool. And that was it. I was like, I'm never yeah. getting in this pool. What are you, what's wrong with you? They can't just, and of course, knowing like that can't be, but yeah, it's that's, but that, again, that's part of it because it's a feeling it's irrational. Yeah. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, you can sit down and explain it all. And I do think that, that, you know, in this idea, like you brought up Jaws is not just a horror film. It's also an adventure film. Well, Man Bites Dog is also not really a horror film. It's, you know, it's a crime film, pseudo doc, noir, but noir and horror share the same uh, ancestral link, the same way that horror and adventure share the same ancestral link as uh, you know, genres. Um, there, there's a lot of the same material in, in each genre's DNA. In fact, you could argue noir is a child of horror because horror yeah. comes from the Gothic tradition and from, you know, German expressionism. Yeah. And noir is an offshoot of those things as well. But yeah, Caligari I, basically birthed both genres. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exa- exactly. And and the castle of Otranto before that kind of birthed the, the Gothic traditions of, of mystery and, uh, and, and darkness that then would be taken by German expressionists as well. It, it all kind of comes from the same place and that it comes from the same place in us as well. And, you know, you get to these arguments about what is horror versus what is not horror, you know, and, and that's a whole other thing. But I think that's what it is. It's just that horror can be injected into anything. You know, the idea mm-hmm. of what we're afraid of, what, what we dread, what can surprise us or startle us, and what we're just what we're anxious about as individuals and, and as, as a collective is in every genre. It's in every story. And I think that's what it is, is if, if that's if when you watch these stories, whatever genre they are, if that's the part of it that opens up a feeling in you, then that's what you seek out. And, you know, my my partner can't really handle most horror movies, but, you know, there are some that she can enjoy and there are some. And that to me says like, OK, well, this is for everybody. It's not just like. You know, it's just we all have different thresholds, I think, is, is the point. But but yeah. all of us can get that feeling. We can all get that feeling of excitement from being scared or of being upset or of being startled. You know, it can make you want it. Uh, it's just we all have different thresholds for for how much of it we can take. And I think that that's that's why. 
And, and, and if that's the answer, you know, it, it, what the answer I want to give is just, oh, no, it's that feeling I got when I was a kid and have been chasing ever since. And sometimes I still get it. Of course, you know, it's cut. It's not as pure <laughs> as it used yeah. to be uh, as you get older. Yeah. yeah. And you have the less fun. Of a, of a six-year-old is like unmatched. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes but... there's a magic in it because it's irrational. Like sometimes yeah. something you can be afraid of is so silly or yeah. impossible that just the fact that it scares you, this is perverse, but gives you this sort of twisted sense of, oh, there's magic in the world because I'm yeah. scared of this thing that could never happen. Yeah. And that, you know, it, I don't know. Maybe there's it's just something of, wrong with us. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the best parts of, the it movie was the idea that he was afraid of a painting like yeah it's just yeah. a creepy painting and yet that was like the thing that it could attach to was that this is what scares him is this and it's irrational but if you put yeah. yourself at that mindset like there were probably paintings that i saw that just off put me in a weird way <laughs> yeah well, yeah, you can. That's the again. You can be scared of anything. So horror can be yeah. in anything. Like, if I'll tell you this: if Pennywise the clown were to come to me and use my fear against me at age, I don't know, five, whatever. I mean, yeah. that's a lot younger than the kids in the story. But yeah, <laughs> like by ten, I was scared of more sophisticated things. But let's say five. If if they were to come to me at five years, if Pennywise were to come to me at five years old, the form he would have taken was ET. And specifically, E.T. Oh. E. dressed as a old woman for trick or treating. Oh. For me, that it was dried up out white E.T. But <laughs> yeah, sick, sick, yeah. dying hospital E.T. is also yeah. very scary. You know what also scared me was E.T. in the closet surrounded by stuffed animals. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I had a bunch of stuffed animals in my closet. If I opened that door and saw E.T.'s face and like, every time I looked in, I was like, he's going to be in there. And I don't know why it's scary because in the movie, he's Elliot's friend. For some reason, this thing scares the shit yeah. out of me. If I see him in there, I'm going to lose it. And that's, I feel like what Pennywise would come to me is it is e lovable, sweet, friendly ET, totally irrational fear. I really do. Some point down the line, we will do this again. We'll pick something together this time instead of me just saying like, "You're going to talk about Man Bites Dog." Just... I no, I I really appreciate uh, the the prompt. I what, one of the, my difficulties is choosing things. I'm not great at picking things. It's why I cool school episodes come out very slowly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I get a prompt, it's like or a list of options. It's like I can work with this. Cool. You know. Well, we will definitely try to do this again, but uh, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, again, check out uh, Ghoul School. It's a great, if you love the horror genre, Andy does deep dives on some great films that you should definitely check out. And uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. The other one is called <laughs> leave, it, leave it to the boys or the boys look, are good. Look <laughs> Boys are good. Look good for the boys. Look good it's, for the boys. It's named after a line of Linnea Quigley's dialogue in Night of the Demons. Uh, she cool. says, relax. I just want to look good for the boys. So look good for the boys is the name of the podcast. Awesome.
again, great having you here. We will do this again. And honestly, we need to talk to each other more than just once every 10 totally. years. But totally. uh, good having you, Andy Sell. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to Art House Rewind. And this was a special bonus episode. Uh, if you have any comments for us, please email us at podcast at arthousebillings.com. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. Thank you.